one of the things that I appreciated about this specific time of the year, it is the end of the year. And if there is any point of time that people are actually open to change, it's actually right now. Which, if you ever have the opportunity to preach or to discuss something that you believe could elicit change, this is exactly the time you'd want to take advantage of. Because when people are open to change, change can actually happen. And why do we know that's true? Because the new year is upon us. And whether you had a good year by your own reckoning, or you had a not-so-good year by your own reckoning, or by your own pocketbook, perhaps, what is true is that most people, when they consider this natural break in time, it is somewhat arbitrary, but there is such a thing as a calendar. And when you consider the break in time, that naturally brings to you an opportunity for something better. Which is why, as we know, many people, not including myself, Typically, as an expression of being wide open to change, they adopt resolutions. New Year's resolutions. I don't do New Year's resolutions. Why? Because I'll probably fail. Now, having said that, resolutions are great. Why? Because it's resolve, which is, in a sense, the root word of a resolution. I see it in the Bible, because when you're dealing with Paul talking in Rome, he says, Remember, you know that thing I was telling you about that I don't want to do? Yeah, that's what I end up doing. And the thing that I want to do, I don't do that. That's, in a sense, an expression of a resolution or a resolve because he's talking about a struggle with the flesh, which is exactly what typical resolutions relate to. I'm going to get more exercise. I could resolve to do that. I'm not even going to try. I know I will not carry through. That's not the number one thing on my priority list. But it is a resolution. And if you are into resolutions, I encourage you. Why? Because in the battle against the flesh, which is what Paul was dealing with in the sinful nature, a resolution, which is resolve, is really an opportunity to strengthen your soul man. As we know, I talk about this a lot, but it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And particularly your will is that element of you that has to actually increase if you are to carry through with resolve. And to be actually have a strong soul is actually of great value to you. It's called discipline. It will accrue to you positively in many different scenarios. And that's what we refer to as the strength of the soul. Now, having said all that, I'm not talking about that today. It just so happens that we're in the end of the year and everybody or maybe not everybody, because I know not including myself, resolutions are not uncommon. Resolutions are very valuable. Resolutions can lead to many positive changes and results. But the difficult topic I wanted to discuss today, and I'm going to hopefully not take too long, because I'm not trying to bring in a lot of theology, but I do have an idea that there's an opportunity for change, because if you can see an opportunity to have your thinking scrambled a little bit, there is an opportunity to change. And it really comes down to what you believe that is the foundation of most change in your life. So the difficult topic I want to speak about today is blessing. And I know some of you are thinking to yourselves, that doesn't sound like a difficult topic. But I can assure you, in, in the relatively short period of time that I've been involved in ministry, blessing actually is a difficult topic. And the reason why I say it, or at least posit as much to you, 
that it is a difficult topic is because sometimes it's really difficult to actually have people to grab hold as a revelatory aspect that blessing is actually available to them. And why do I say that? Well, let me just start, and I'll get to that, but let me just start by trying to actually put some groundwork to how we can approach this discussion. Blessing, as a definition that you will probably see in the biblical context, can be phrased this way. This is what blessing can be phrased as. Empowered to prosper. I like that sound. I think we all do. And when we think of empowered, I know you're thinking this is kind of a legal-sounding thing, and it is, actually, because the word empower can actually be defined this way. It's to give official authority or legal power to. So when I say blessing can be phrased as being empowered to prosper, I'm actually starting to enter into a realm where, as available to yourselves, it's almost a legal right that you are empowered to prosper. And we understand the legal aspect and implications of this because we know as an example and how you would use the word, the federal government is empowered to collect taxes from all of you. You might not agree with that power, but most assuredly they are empowered to do so, and they can enforce that legal right. So being empowered to prosper is a little bit more than, well, maybe I'll be blessed, maybe good things will happen. It's actually becoming something much more substantive as something available to you to grab hold of and enforce. But you, I started by saying this is a difficult topic, and why is that? Because, unfortunately, in the body of Christ, at least the parts that I've had a chance to interact with, in my short time living here on this earth, is that we often don't confine our thinking to blessings. There used to be a game show many years ago that, and I can't remember what the name of the game show, but it was when I was young, so you can imagine it wasn't recently. It was actually on TV, which is probably an indicator of how old it was. And it was a game that you actually had to get the other person to guess the word that you were thinking. So you would use leading phrases to try and have them explain the word that you knew they had to say. And the reason why blessings is difficult is because there's this twin that always associated with blessing. It's called curses. And if I were to simply, if I was on that game show and the word I had to have you exclaim is curses, I'd say, that's pretty easy. All I would do is say, blessings and curses. And all of you would be able to instant, almost instantaneously give me the answer that I want. And why is that? Curses probably get more play than blessings. We're much more apt to accept curses in our lives than we are blessings. And remember when I said what a blessing is, it is something that you're actually empowered. There's an illegal aspect of that right to prosper. And yet, I have much easier time convincing you that curses are active in your life versus blessings. And I think you can probably agree with me on that. Why? Because if you think of a curse, which is the opposite of a blessing, and I just said a blessing is to be empowered to prosper, 
and a curse is now, in a sense, to be disempowered, to be barred from prospering. And most of our lives, if we can be honest with ourselves, is probably less fulfilling than we would have liked. And it's actually very easy to attribute the negative consequences, the failed opportunities that we've experienced, and attribute that to a curse. And indeed, that is a possibility. But the reason why curses predominate, at least in terms of thinking, in terms of attitude, in terms of understanding and appreciation, is this. Fear. If I were to say to you, and actually went through a teaching about where curses might originate, how curses could propagate, how curses could be active in your life, I can guarantee I would have your attention throughout my entire talk. Why? Because everybody can relate to failure, everybody can relate to missed opportunities, to failed instances, to something failing to actually result in the desire that we had. Fear. And whether you appreciate it or not, I say this to my family all the time, or even beyond my family, fear is good persuasion. Fear is actually excellent persuasion. Fear is one of the roots of good persuasion because people respond to fear. So you might have seen one of the commercials on TV just as a very simple example of that, that it talks about the dark web, about having your identity available on the dark web, and of course the need for you to have security products to ensure that your identity is not being somehow mishandled just by the use of the term dark, starts to place in motion fear. So this is all pre-canned, designed persuasion. And in the church, whether intentional or not, I can tell you that when you start to enter into things that can produce fear, your attention level in the audience is heightened in part because we're naturally programmed to respond to fear. Which is why, and I say, curses, that's easy. In fact, I could say to you that there are modern-day equivalents to the sale of indulgences that is often going on in the church. I'm not here to say what those are, but the sale of indulgences at the time of the Reformation was solely rooted on fear. You're buying freedom of your conscience. You're buying freedom from punishment and guilt. Those are all strongholds of fear. So fear is easy. If I were to talk to you about curses, that's an easy topic to cover because I would have your attention. But I don't want to talk about that easy topic. So I should have put in my notes, stop that. Because I don't want to talk about fear. I don't want to talk about curses. They are existence, they propagate, they are real. And if I gave you the five steps, that would be actually diminishing the real issue of actually how to begin the process of undoing curses. See, so we're back to this difficult topic that I posited to you, which is blessing. So, let's take a look at blessing. Again, not as exciting as fear, but let's talk about blessing. 
So we do, we do have some scriptures. They are from the NIV, which we don't unfortunately have the right version. But some of these scriptures are actually very familiar to you. So I think when we actually put them together, if the Spirit is on it, you'll immediately understand where we're going. So, blessing. Blessing is actually one of the most original concepts in the Bible. Genesis. We know Genesis in the creation. We know the first instance of blessing was actually with respect to the fish in the sea. And the same type of blessing was actually included in Genesis 1.27, which was for man. And I'll take a, a moment. Well, I can't see, but Genesis 1, verse 27. I will read that. Whether it's up there or not, you know it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Blessing. God blessed man, you. The original intent. I know we've messed it up. I know there was the original sin. I know the creation has been frustrated as sin entered the world. But make no mistake, the intention of God has not changed. Man was blessed. You, through Adam, blessed. There was a second Adam that has come to ultimately make right what was lost by the first Adam. Blessing. What is that blessing? Here, it says, be fruitful and increase. I just entered the difficult territory in the church right now. For me to convince you that blessing is upon you, and that God's very intention is to see you increase, be fruitful and increase, that is a tough sell. I don't have fear to help me in persuasion of that. Just being honest. I've tried in some instances where, be it not counseling, but a discussion. I can't say I'm a counselor. But when you see, in some sense, a lack of revelation about God's intention for a person, and you start to bring in these amazingly foreign concepts that God desires to see you be fruitful and increase, my goodness, do we need revelation to enter the room. Because, and this is no fault of any particular person, because the way we think, the way we operate, is not in the here and now, it's as a result of the training that we've received as highly developed creatures of unbelief. So if I were to say to you, not knowing your background, but seeing that maybe there's not an appreciation of the fullness of God's intention for your life, and to say God actually desires you to be fruitful. God desires for you as a blessed one to increase. Immediately what starts to filter through is like, Okay, I hear that, but that doesn't line up with anything that I know. All of my experience is actually contrary to that. I think through every instance that where I may have asked or had an expectation, hope, and saw it diminished, why? Because it never actually panned out the way I thought it was to be fulfilled. 
And I don't understand that. I may not even be able to explain it. I'm more apt to say, oh, it must have been me. Curse. Oh, that's the easy part. And I can't really sort it out. So for me to actually grab hold and receive with ease that you are to be fruitful and you are to increase does not compute. But blessing, as one who is empowered to prosper, difficult. Difficult to receive. And we see strains of this almost failure to compute, but we have our language in the church just like any other sect, cult, group. Pick whatever organizational concept you have. We have our language that is, in some sense, masking over the issue. And I can, I've heard this a number of times, and I hear people say, well, God's my provider. I believe God's my provider. True. Nothing wrong with that. It actually says in the Bible what you know, the Lord will provide. And I could go into teaching about the specific context and how oftentimes we use that, not quite correctly, but the point is, is that to say God is your provider doesn't mean anything to me. In the context of what it could be to be blessed, to say that God provides means nothing. You see, God provides true. But if the, if the concept of God as the provider is to keep you in a status quo, then there's never abundance. Is it wrong? No. But it is a very different concept, and when somebody says God provides, you could mean a lot of different things. But to say that God provides could mean that you're barely getting by. In fact, you can have a poverty spirit and still exclaim, God provides. It is necessary that God provides, but is not sufficient for a context and understanding of abundance, which is what I speak of when it says to be empowered to prosper. It does not necessarily equate. It can. It absolutely can. You see, I, I grew up in my household, just as a personal example, we were poor. My parents were in the ministry. They didn't, pay, they didn't get paid a lot. In fact, they got paid about as low as you can imagine. And my mom would say, but God will provide. But it didn't end there. You see, included within that very statement from my parents is what I heard. It was more, it wasn't just the statement, it's the spirit behind it, but included within that statement was this very expectation that that provision that she was referring to, that provision that she was believing for was ultimately for something greater to come. The status quo was not to be continued. The future that she was imagining was a future much brighter than the present. And that's called prospering. So you can say God provides, and many of you do, and I'm not trying to take a shot at you. But if there is not that understanding and expectation of the greater, the prospering, the abundance to come, then it could be a mask or a failure to fully appreciate the level of blessing that actually God desires to pour out for you. You see, when we talk about blessing, there is a reality that we have to understand. And that reality is born in part of what is the true reality. We live on earth. This is not the true reality. As real as some of the things that you can touch, feel, taste, perceive, it is not the true reality. In fact, the things on earth can be referred to as a type or shadow 
of the true reality in heaven. It's a type. The life you live is a shadow of what actually exists in heaven. And we know this is true because when they actually built the tabernacle, you don't need to turn there, and whether you put it up doesn't matter. In Hebrews 8.5, it says, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. It's a shadow. That tabernacle that they established was a shadow of the true tabernacle in heaven. In Ephesians 1.3, we're going to start to put strings and verses together so we can actually get an understanding of what is really going on in the context of blessing with respect to your lives. In Ephesians 1.3, it has this verse that it's, you can't appreciate unless you actually understood what I just said in the previous verse. It says this, Ephesians 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is a mouthful. That is something that is so good, so unbelievable, and yet so unattainable and unreal. Why? Because this is a statement of the intention and the true reality of your life. That if you can understand that what is existent here on earth is a shadow of what is in heaven, then you can understand what this verse means. And what this verse means is that what is in heaven is the fullness of the blessings, the very intention that God has for your life. It's there. And you would probably say, I don't see it exactly. You don't see it yet. Because in Matthew 6, 9, we know this verse. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is on earth is a shadow of what is in heaven. What is actually in heaven is the fullness of the storehouse of blessing that God's intention is over your life. And one of the opportunities we have is to bring what is there and have it become manifest in reality, as much as we can experience here, in our lives here. So you may say to yourself, I'm not seeing it, like all of us can easily say, but the fullness of what is stored up is in the process of being loosed here on earth which is what Matthew 16, verse 19 says. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified because it is a better way to phrase it in the context of what we understand the true reality. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind, declared to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. So if we apply that template of how we operate here on earth and we say to loose blessing, to loose God's intention here on earth, it has already been loosed in heaven because you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It is already established in heaven. And the process that we go through here on earth, which is trials and tribulations, perseverance, character and hope, is to have that become manifest in reality here. To be loosed, it already has been loosed because it's available in heaven, and to have it actually loosed here on earth, well, that's the process. Am I going to say that's easy? No. We're more likely to think, actually, 
that the failure to see those blessings manifest here on earth is probably because we are under a curse. As I said, the curse part, that's easy. I could convince all of you that you're under a curse. He did. But I'm here to change mindsets. So the biggest obstacle, which is why I'm talking about this, and which is why I preface by saying, maybe not the most popular, maybe not the most simple subject to explain, the biggest obstacle that I see is understanding God's intent. We can debate blessings and curses. We can debate whether you have a curse in your life, whether it's operational. We can debate whether you're free of curse and actually open to blessing, because those are fact-specific circumstances that we can debate. But if you have a revelation that God's intent for you is to be blessed, then that will change the entire course of how you approach the subject. Because whether or not blessing or curses are active, if you know that God's intent is to have blessings actually invade your realm and become your reality here on earth, that changes everything about you, how you approach the subject. It will change everything because your expectation will be set. Your expectation will dictate how you approach God even. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, there's an interesting picture which I think illustrates or confirms, in a sense, the view that I'm trying to espouse here. And in verse 13, it says this. A few verses, and we know the story. So just sit back and listen, and picture in your mind what's going on here. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, we know that the kingdom of God refers to the rule and reign of God. Now picture this scenario, not from your perspective, but from God's perspective. These are children. Jesus was indignant that they would be prevented, these children would be prevented to come to him. What Jesus saw when he looked at a child, and it's not to say that this isn't available to different degrees for all of us, but when he saw the child, he saw in some sense, the fullness of what Ephesians 1.3 said. Every spiritual blessing in Christ stored up for this child in heaven. It is all available to this child as he looked into the future of this child's life. It is the potential that he saw in the child like we should see in any child was readily apparent to him. And his desire was that, oh, that it would be fulfilled. Oh, that the fullness, the richness of God's intention for this child would be fulfilled. And he put his hand on the child and blessed the child, which was to say, be empowered to prosper. I don't know about you, I've had an opportunity to pray for children, and I love it. 
because it's exactly that kind of scenario. You see a child in innocence, not having any awareness of what is in store in their life, and even still, I'm not, I would never say I'm the most prophetic type, but if I dial it down and I just say, you know what? If I encourage, I am being prophetic. And when you see the fullness of the possibilities and the potential and the goodness of the things that could be unveiled and unfold in a child's life, and I get a chance to lay my hands on that child, and I bless that child, all I'm saying and all I'm desiring is that, oh, that the fullness that God has stored up for this child, that it would be fulfilled. And that child is you. And it doesn't much matter how old you are. That child is you. Because if we're willing to dare to believe that Ephesians 1.3 said every spiritual blessing has already been laid up and what we desire to see is have that actually be loose because it already has been loosed to have it loosed here on earth, you, that child, because you are that child, to be blessed is to say, may it be fulfilled in your life. Let me not be hung up about Oh, well, I have to sow to reap. Yes, you do. It is a spiritual law. But since when has it become the onus put upon yourself to have this be? Because blessing, if you're willing to believe the definition, that is an empowering. It is a, almost as if a legal right to prosper, to be blessed, is to have almost that right that almost sounds like heresy, doesn't it? It does sound like heresy. Because it's too good. It's too much. I went and done it now. I've crossed the line into loony land. So what is my intention here today? My intention here today is just to read some scripture, put it together, and if what I've always believed is that if the Spirit is on it, it will resonate with you. Because it's in the Bible. And if you don't agree, you don't agree. As I was praying about today, sometimes I don't feel like I pray enough. I'll just be honest. Sometimes I wonder if I put the proper preparation into a sermon. Just being honest. But if I had one desire out of this day, out of this opportunity, because indeed it is, is that there would be an opportunity to encourage, encourage people of God's view of who they are in Him. It's not for me to sell you something. It is for me to present something that I believe is rooted in the Word and give it as an opportunity to say, I'll take that. And what happens after that I'm perfectly open to. That's God's job. If you're willing to receive it as a child would, then the potential, that's in God. So in some difficult topic, I understand. But as I look at each of you, and I consider the child that Jesus with, Jesus is literally in this room, if he was here, and he had opportunity to pray for you, 
I think in our experience in reading the Bible, we would understand that he wouldn't be ultimately as concerned about what you had done. He would be a little bit more focused on where you were going. And if he were to lay hands on you and to prophesy over you, as we as little Christians, in a sense, are apt to do, he would be praying about that loosing, about that blessing, about that empowering to prosper in what was to come. So I'm just going to pray for us. So we're just going to stand, and I don't think I took too long, but if you would, why don't you stand? We're just going to pray. We don't need to belabor the point. So I had had a thought, and we're going to start this way. Just, just close your eyes. Don't look at me. You've looked at me enough. It doesn't matter. Just close your eyes. We have been speaking about that quote-unquote difficult topic called blessing. And we're all in different places. But I believe there's an opportunity just between you and God. Just be honest with him. And if, if what I said, the spirit was on it, and there was an element of revelation where you can believe that God just has his intention for you is to prosper, then just as we, we're going to have to spend a little bit, just a short period of time, just say that to him. I believe you. And if you aren't quite convinced, then I would ask you to specifically ask this prayer. Lord, help me to see. All right, just take a moment. Take a moment. Lord, we thank you. I just thank you for what lays ahead, not what is behind, what lays ahead. And I pray for your people. And I pray for them as I believe you see them. What is available to them? What is to come? And I just pray over them right now in the name of Jesus. And I say, be blessed. Be blessed with more of you, with more revelation of your intention for them. I pray blessing upon them. May they, as they approach this year, may every thought have an expectation of the good that you have in store. May it reside upon it. May it dominate their thinking. May every lie be still. I bless them in the name of Jesus with thoughts of you, O Lord. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.